Good Sunday to you. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms and grandmas and aunts and mom friends out there. Rashini Rajkumar here along with your host, Dr. David Hilden. We have an open line show. I want to put the number out there right away, 651-989-9226. We will answer all your questions today by phone or by text. Dr. Hilden, good morning. I also want to celebrate nurses because I understand we are in Nurses Week, and I'm sure all of us uh, could do that and has a great memory of a nurse from our life. Absolutely, Rashini. Good morning, everybody. Happy Mother's Day to, to everybody out there. Uh, celebrating those of us who mother uh, and our mothers in our world. Um, happy Mother's Day to all of you. Yeah, it is Nurses Week as well. And um, I'm glad you, you mentioned that because I talk about uh, you know nurses sometimes on the show, but perhaps not enough. Uh, they are the, the heroes of medicine when you really think about it. I work with a number of nurses, well, hundreds actually, each and every day. Some And nurses work all over the place. They don't just work in the hospital. So when you're lying there in the bed, you have a highly skilled uh, hospital nurse. But they work in clinics. And we have nurses going out to people's homes. And we have nurses working in shelters to help people. And there's nurses working in jails to um, assist people with health care needs who are incarcerated. There, There's just nurses in all aspects of our lives. So shout out to all my nurse colleagues and friends. Um, I'll be uh, I'll hang out with you today as we as we round in the hospital and do our best for our patients. So happy Nurses Week to everybody, and um, we are going to do an open line show. So thanks for giving out that phone line and uh, for your texts and questions. We'll take whatever's on your mind. One last thing about uh, about uh, uh, a special event this month. It's the month of May is Stroke Awareness Month. And stroke is still one of the more common things that happen to people. It is one of the leading causes of death in the United States. But there's something you can do if you, uh, if you think you might be having a stroke. And um, Hennepin Healthcare is a stroke center of excellence, and we have some of the best stroke outcomes there are in the region. Because what matters when you're having a stroke is that you act quickly. And, and when you get to Hennepin, we have over 80% of our patients get treated in less than 60 minutes, which is the guideline that people look for. The national average is only 59%. So we're much higher, much faster than the national average in stroke care. So it is Stroke Awareness Month. Remember that little acronym. I've, I've mentioned it many times over the years. Be fast. If you know, the, the fast stands for face. The R, A stands for arms. The S stands for speech. If you have problems in any of those, then you go seek care immediately. So it's Stroke Awareness Month, and if you have questions about stroke, feel free to ask them. We're doing an open line show. It doesn't just have to be about coronavirus. Exactly. Dr. Hilden, I also find it interesting that increasingly younger people are experiencing strokes. For people who don't really know what a stroke is, what is happening in our body when that happens? Yes, indeed, Rashini. It is happening to younger people, uh, and it's that's probably because of high blood pressure. Uh, high blood pressure is a is a leading risk factor for stroke, and one in three people have high blood pressure. And of those people, half of them don't even know it. And as you get older, your chances of having high blood pressure are even higher, so your chances of stroke are higher. So you can be 45 years old and have a stroke. You can be younger. And so what's happening in your body is that the blood vessels get, for one of two things happens, they get clots in them, and then the, your brain doesn't get any blood because a clot formed there. Or you can have a bleeding kind of a stroke where there's bleeding into your brain. That's not as common. The blood clot one 
Often those blood clots start in your heart and they go up to your head. That's called an embolic stroke. Other times, those blood clots just form in the blood vessels themselves of your brain. And so these are both, um, they're all result in no oxygen to the brain. And with quick, fast, expert treatment, you can break up those blood clots fast enough to save some of your brain so you don't have all those uh, ongoing effects in your speech, in your language, in your balance, and in the strength of parts of your body. So it's really important, A, get your blood pressure under control, and two, if you're having any sudden loss of your speech, your vision, your arm strength, then you need to go get care immediately. Yeah, and you can always visit hennepinhealthcare.org forward slash stroke to learn more about Hennepin Healthcare's amazing stroke center. And I love the acronym you shared, Dr. Hilden, Be Fast. And I have the, the words right in front of me, balance eyes, face, arms, speech, time. All of those things are, are pretty much everything about us, right? So if something's off with your balance, your eyes, if your face starts drooping, your arms are weak, your speech is strange, all of those things could be a sign or even any one of them. So be fast. That's the acronym that Dr. Hilden wants you to remember. All right. So, Doc, you're going to answer all different kinds of questions today, correct? Whatever you got, whatever you want to throw at me. <laughs> Which it's fun. Although when... I will say that next week, next week we're doing a dermatology show. We're going to have an Ask the Dermatologist because I always kid my friends. What are the questions that you have the hardest time with? And for me, it's always skin questions. So, but I'll take your skin questions as well. But we are doing an Ask the Dermatologist show next week. I'm really looking forward to the dermatologist because, you know, aging doesn't necessarily mean that skin issues go away. And I think there are a lot, I mean, we're all aging, right? Regardless of what decade you're in. So uh, I think that we're going to have some good questions for the dermatologist next week. All right. You can call Dr. Hilden today. Call us, text us, tweet us. Uh, the phone number and text number is the same, 651-989-9226. I'm also tracking Twitter today. So if you're easily on Twitter, you can tweet us at drdavidhilden or at Rashini R. And those... Twitter handles are also good during the week if you want to connect with us when we are not on the show. But this uh, Mother's Day edition of uh, Open Lines Healthy Matters continues. 651-989-9226 when we return. We are back on Healthy Matters this Mother's Day edition. Devin trying to wake us all up. Dr. David Hilden and Rashini with you taking your calls on Open Lines. 651-989-9226. We have calls coming in and many texts, Dr. Hilden, but I want to start... With this wonderful text that came in uh, from a listener uh, about your recommendations for favorite books relating to health and aging. There's so many books um, and, um, and authors about health and aging. Let me see if I can think. You know, the one that I send people to the most is Atul Gawande's Being Mortal. Uh, being mortal, and uh, Dr. Gawande is, a, as many might have heard, um, have heard of him. He's a speaker and a, a sought-after uh, um, kind of sage a person about um, a number of topics. But he wrote a book called Being Mortal, which talks about our own aging process, and he—it's a very personal story of of, of his own family and his uh, what what to do with his own parents as they were getting older. So I really recommend Being Mortal. The other thing is kind of an interesting book. There's a guy called Dan Beekner. He's a local guy actually who wrote a, a series of books called The Blue Zones. And what what Dr. what Dan Beekner did was f he looked around the world and found where are some areas of the world where people live long. 
like where do the, where do people live, live to a hundred outside the norm? And he found six or seven places I can't remember where, but one of them was in Japan, one was in an island in Greece, one was in an island somewhere in in Italy, uh, one was I think in S- South America, one was Loma Linda, California, and these are places where people live longer on average, statistically longer. And it was weird to him, so he tried to see what was the same in these places that are all over the world. And generally, he comes up with a bunch of reasons why he believes they're living longer. It has things to do like having a purpose later in life, staying active later in life, having a faith community, having a support network, all kinds of things that um, are really interesting. Um, it's It's a good read. He also has a website, I think. So The Blue Zones and Being Mortal by Atul Gawande are two that come right off the top of my head. But if listeners have any uh, suggestions for books on aging uh, or other resources. Or healthy lifestyle. Or yeah. healthy lifestyle, yes. Yeah, text us 651-989-9226. I will definitely mention those on the air. Yeah, so I'm just looking up the title right now, The Blue Zones by Dan Butner, and he does have a website. He's actually been on my show many, many, many years ago. But uh, one of the things that he found was the diet. A lot of these people ate more of what we'd call the Mediterranean diet. So that... Uh, made a lot of them in common, you know, kind of the healthy eating. All right, we have many calls coming in on open lines. Kathy is calling from Minneapolis. Good morning, Kathy. Yes, good morning. Um, I saw uh, my uh, an endocrinologist for my regular checkup this week. It wasn't my regular one due to scheduling, and I am very confused. My, I'm in my mid-60s, and I've had diabetes for seven years. Um, my A1C was 57 which she found very alarming and said there was a new study out where I could have an, a heart incident if I had, you know, continually on the low side of blood sugar. And uh, she wanted to me to take less insulin and try to get over 200 sometimes. And this is just contrary to anything I've ever heard. So I'm very, very confused. I'm confused too, Kathy. Uh, now there is um, 5.7 is a normal blood blood sugar uh, reading. That's your hemoglobin A1C. And I am maybe I'm, there is some new research that talks about lower blood sugars. And but I would not share that advice you got about keeping your blood sugars over 200. I've never heard that. Uh, higher blood sugars over time are not good for your body. I would say you should be congratulated for having such a terrific blood sugar control. Well done. Now, maybe, maybe there is, um, there, low blood sugars are very dangerous in the short term for anybody, you, me, and everybody. If your blood sugars got too low, you can pass out. You can, it can cause seizures. But over time, your goal is to get your blood sugar as normal as possible, and, that, and, and your numbers are suggesting you're doing just that. So I would uh, maybe go to your regular endocrinologist and get that cleared up uh, to make sure there's nothing with you particularly, but uh, that is unusual advice. All right, one person, one person is texting in that they heart being mortal. Num- another person texts, not to forget the school nurses. Absolutely. Happy uh, Nurse Week. We celebrate all nurses. Uh, really, not just this week, but we should always. All every right. week. Every, yeah, every week. week. Yes, school nurses, I can't tell you how hard they work. <laughs> so that's a great, great reminder. Right. I, I wouldn't want to deal with all those bratty kids. Oh, but anyway, oh. Larry from St. Paul. Good morning, Larry. Good morning, uh, thank you very much for receiving my call, and uh, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers, first of all. And uh, my question is, 
angioplasty. Uh, is that procedure risky? Is it, it, what are some of the risks? That, can it cause uh, a person to pass away? Angioplasty. Hey, Larry, thanks for the call. Angioplasty, you know, when you ask is it risky, that's a relative question. It does have some risks, but they're very, very small. Um, almost, well, every medical intervention we do, every pill you take, every procedure we do has some risk. Angioplasty is um, highly successful um, and uh, has very low risk, but not zero. What they do is they go and put in a little wire into the blood vessel they're trying to unclog. Think of a plumber here. It's usually one of the blood vessels in your heart, but it can be in your leg as well and in your brain even. They put a little wire that goes into that little blood clot and they blow up a little teeny balloon, a little teeny one, like the size of a ballpoint pen spring, a little balloon that's shaped like a hot dog. And they blow that up and they push all the cholesterol and crud and junk against the walls of the pipe, which in this case is your blood vessel. Then they often put a stent in there to hold it open, a little scaffolding to hold the whole thing open. Um, they can accidentally, um, the, the complications are it could, uh, they could send some of that blood clot downstream. They could um, poke a hole in the blood vessel. These all sound terrible, um, but they're very, very, very rare. So I would call angioplasty an extremely safe procedure that often has a great result um, and, um, for the patient. So I wouldn't worry about the complications too much. Um, of, of an angioplasty. But that being said, all, all procedures are, are nerve-wracking for patients, so it's okay to be apprehensive about it. But it's, it's pretty low risk. All right, we have some leg questions. This person is asking, what should be done for a leg vein that ruptures? Well, if it's just a superficial vein, you're going to have a big bruise uh, and you don't have to do anything. If you have a larger deep vein, they don't usually just rupture, but you can certainly get varicose veins where they get swollen and they can become unsightly if they're superficial or they become quite painful. It used to be we did vein stripping procedures for that, which was a surgical procedure where they took out the darn thing and it hurt. The procedures hurt. And, um, and so people hated that. Now there's much better therapies. There's lasers and there's sclerotherapy where they inject something into the vein. And so there's lots of good treatment. So go to any good vein clinic. You might want to ask your primary doctor for where that is. We have one at Hennepin Healthcare. They're really, they're really good at that. Um, I don't really know about the ruptured vein. I mean, any vein can rupture, but that will generally just lead to a hematoma or a blood collection or a big bad bruise. Yeah, it does not sound comfortable at all. Oh, it wouldn't be at all, yeah. You are listening to Healthy Matters, uh, powered by Hennepin Healthcare. Today, our open line show, Dr. Hilden has taken all your questions. So call us, text us. I know we have some callers waiting. We have many texts coming in. I always promise we'll get to you if you call. We'll do our best to get to you if you text us. The number for both, 651-989-9226. We walk on grass that's greener, and our cares would all be Right. Happy Mother's Day to all those amazing women out there and some of the men that have had to take on the role of mother. So happy Mother's Day to all of you. You are listening to Healthy Matters, powered by Hennepin Healthcare. Dr. David Hilden, you know him very well. All of these 13 years on this show. Wow. Rashini Rajkumar with you, too. Phone lines are open. 651-989-9226. John is holding. Hi, John, calling in from Hopkins. 
Uh, good morning. I have a uh, COVID question. I have a 20-year-old granddaughter. We can't get a good answer on this. She had a uh, the uh, Pfizer shot exactly two weeks after the Pfizer shot. She came down with PCR positive and symptomatic uh, virus. The question is, A, should she have a second shot uh, after, now that she's uh, actively has the virus? Uh, and B, if so, when should it be? Normally it's two or, th- or three weeks later. Now what should she do with regard to a second shot? That's kind of a complicated one, isn't it? Uh, I, I can understand why that wouldn't be exactly clear. Usually what we tell people who have had the, the illness, COVID-19, is to wait a few months mostly because you're going to you're going to get hit with a wallop when you get that vaccine. It's okay to go ahead and get it on the usual schedule, but you might be quite you're going to you're going to get some fevers and chills and so that second dose is going to hit you pretty hard. What I would suggest to her is that once her symptoms have resolved and she just feels normal to go in and get that second covid shot in the coming weeks. It is not um, necessary to have it be exactly three weeks later. You can't get it earlier than three weeks. But she make sure she's completely well and go ahead and get it. Um, if she's well enough to get it on schedule, that would be okay. That would be a week a week after she had uh, three weeks after. But it's okay to wait longer than that. You can. There's not a lot of data on on what a person should do in this case. She probably had that virus roughly the same time as she got the first vaccine, just didn't know it, and uh, and so it just reared its head um, roughly at the same time. So I would wait a few weeks, make sure she's feeling well, then go ahead and get it, the second All right. shot. All right. Ken is calling in from Blaine. Hi, Ken. Good morning. Are you with us, Ken? Hello. Good morning. Yes. Uh, I have a question for the doctor. Yeah, Ken. Hi. Hi, um, I was wondering, you had mentioned about strokes and if you uh, have a stroke or um, maybe even a TIA, that uh, they would dissolve uh, or work on the blood clots. I've had uh, two TIAs over the last year and a half, and they've determined that uh, it was connected with amyloids, and it wasn't clots, it was uh, bleeding. So what do they do with bleeding? If they're dissolving clots, what do they do with bleeding? Yeah, yeah, Ken. Um, uh, they would certainly not give you clot buster drugs. So what they generally do in strokes is, A, they have to make sure that you don't have the bleeding kind of stroke first. And so usually they quick scan your head. And if there's no blood, then then they give the, blot, the clot busting drugs. The drugs are also, they have to be given in a very short window of time, just three hours. And so um, that's why getting to the the center, a stroke center, so quickly is important. In your case, though, you're bringing up a totally different situation. This is a um, there are other ways that the brain can be deprived of oxygen, um, and there can be other problems with the blood vessels, not just clots, not just bleeding. There can be other infiltrative problems in which, and that's what amyloid is. It's a protein that can build up in organs of your heart. It can they can show up in your brain, it can show up in your heart, in your liver, um, and that's called amyloidosis. And it can show up in the blood vessels. So for sure, um, that uh, if you're having TIAs due to a rheumatologic condition or, or a, an infiltrative condition, you should be seen by your neurologist with an N and your rheumatologist and uh, on how to manage that. But clot-busting drugs would not be the, not be the treatment of choice for you. 
All right. We'll remind people this is our open line show today. We have a lot of text here. You can also call us 651-989-9226. Dr. Hilden, listen to this. This person says, I've had 10 pounds of unexplained weight loss since the last uh, week in February. I had a shoulder replacement and Lyme, Lyme's disease, Lyme disease in February. I recently had a blood test that was normal except for low blood count. My doctor doesn't seem to be concerned. What should I do? Yeah, any time weight loss is unexplained, we do want to follow that up. Uh, most of us would be happy to lose 10 pounds, but that's what we're trying to. We're exercising, we're on a diet, we're doing something. And if it's unexplained, what I would generally do is exactly what this texture has done. Go in for an initial visit and make sure that there's nothing obvious. And a low, a low white blood count um, can mean ongoing type of infection. It can mean you've got a blood disorder or it can be normal. So it's not, it's not in and of itself uh, enough, enough to get concerned with yet. What I would suggest to this texter is monitor your symptoms, check your, your food intake, maybe keep a food diary, maybe even see a nutritionist so that you know that your intake is adequate. And if your, if your food intake is adequate, then I would probably get a follow-up in one to two months, especially if the weight loss is continuing, get further blood tests, do more extensive testing to make sure you don't have some type of occult, which means low-level, hard-to-find malignancy or some other kind of condition. There could be a number of things. Weight loss can be due not only to blood disorders, it can be due to rheumatologic problems, it can be due to depression, it can be due to uh, mental health issues. There's just a zillion things. So don't let it go. Follow it up. It doesn't sound like an emergency, but go back in in a week, a week, or sorry, a week, a month or two and have that, have that checked out. Doctor, I have the absolute opposite problem. It's very explained. It's called a COVID belly. And I don't mean to make light, but I mean, that is something a lot of us are dealing with is that extra, you know, being around the house a lot, that snacking. Do you have any general tips for those of us on the other end of this weight issue? Right. That is exceptionally common. Um, this last year, everyone gained the freshman 15 um, during this pandemic. And it's mostly due to, well, it's two factors that you probably can think about. It's being too sedentary and the diet. So if it's, I would start most people little bit more exercise than you've been getting this past year is always a good idea. Try to get 30 minutes a day somehow. But the diet is much more uh, kind of uh, insidious. People don't even realize what you're eating. You're watching Netflix and you're sitting at night and you're eating a ton of garbage. Or even if it's not garbage, you're just eating a lot. And then you're going to bed right away. So diet, diet, diet. I don't mean go on a diet. I mean monitor your diet and try to eat healthier. And even if it's good food, a lot of good food also adds up calorie-wise. You got it. You know, your, your weight is a, it's a physics problem. It is simply if the calories consumed are more than the calories you burned, you will gain weight. It's a, it's a certainty. So uh, um, it can be healthy foods too, although um, we're, we're not often quite aware of what, how many calories are in some of the processed foods we eat and the, the kind of the junky snack foods we eat, they're clearly the ones you want to avoid first. This listener wants to know, is there a way to tell if someone has had good protection from COVID after vaccination? Is there a way to do a, is it a titer test, a T-I-T-E-R test? Mm -hmm. I don't, I've seen that term. I don't know that term, but that's yeah, the question. That yeah, um, we don't routinely test, um, but it is possible, and it's probably likely, actually, that we all have differing responses to the vaccine. The, the, the antibody response in people has been quite consistently strong, so we don't even test because the thing works so well. 
But it is possible that some people, particularly those with a, um, an immune system that isn't everything it, it maybe once was, so that would be people with uh, uh, any kind of immune disorder, um, and even taking um, medications that suppress your immune system, whether that be for lupus or other rheumatologic conditions or for cancers, or very old adults. You know, older adults don't have an immune system as uh, quite as robust as they used to. We don't have a routine test for that. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. You can find a lab and a, your doctor can order that, but most doctor's offices don't routinely have that test. You can get simply an antibody titer test, which just says, do you have the antibodies or don't you? That is still a possibility, although most people don't even don't go that route. Okay, this listener is texting. Is it possible to swallow air from a CPAP and it finds its way to the stomach? Well, that's a really good question that I don't have a good answer for. It, it's always possible when you're forcing air into the, the oral pharynx, the nasopharynx, your nose and mouth, that some of it could go in your lungs that, or in your stomach. That's not normal because you have an epiglottis. You have a little valve that opens and closes with respirations. So it should be going into your lungs, but it's certainly possible. And what I'm going to ask this texter to do is turn on your WCCO radio two weeks from today or listen on the Odyssey app. And because we're having an Ask the Sleep expert, Dr. Renji Varghese is going to be my uh, uh, guest host that day. He'll answer that question. I'll send him a text. So make sure that you listen in two weeks' time. Oh, I love it. That's a great topic. Joy is on the line from Minnetonka. Hello, Joy. Yes, hi. Um, I had uh, arthroscopic surgery uh, about six and a half weeks ago, and um, I am concerned because uh, my knee, I, I, I had thought that arthroscopic surgery was, you know, not something, uh, not a huge deal, but after six and a half weeks, I, I'm, I've had zero improvement in my knee, and um, I did go back to the uh, surgeon, and he said, well, you know, everybody's different, but I just find it odd that there would be virtually no improvement over a six-week, six-and-a-half-week period. I think I'd be asking that question too, Joy. That's a, that's a, I think a reasonable person would say, well, I got nothing out of that. It does go to show that um, sometimes the procedures we do don't come with any type of guarantee, do they? Now, there are some indications for arthroscopic surgery. It does help some people. Uh, it is perhaps not as helpful as people think um, for certain conditions. Uh, you know, if you have debris floating around in there, sometimes they can clean out your knee joint, but they can't miraculously fix cartilage loss or arthritis. And so sometimes our expectations of what to expect from an arthroscopic surgery are a little bit um, optimistic. I would hope you would have got some relief. What I would suggest you do now this is maybe find a different orthopedic surgeon and say, hey, is there any other surgeries we can do? Is there anything else we can do? I might say that total nip, knee replacements are highly successful. That is an orthopedic procedure that really, really works. But you might not yet be a candidate for that. So try physical therapy, get it stronger, do an exercise and stretching program, and maybe get another opinion if there's any other surgical things you could try. All right. We have one more segment left on this Mother's Day edition, Open Lines on Healthy Matters. We have to take a quick break. We've got some callers and many texts waiting. Dr. Hilden will get to those when we return, but a reminder of our number, 651-989-9226. We are back. So now 
Dr. Hilden answering your questions on Healthy Matters. Rashini and Dr. Hilden with you. For this final segment, we're going to get in a couple quick texts and then go back to the phone lines. This person says, good morning. I was diagnosed with shingles on March 30th. When am I eligible to get my COVID vaccine? I anxiously await your answer. I think you can go ahead now. Um, we just asked that if, if you got the actual illness shingles, I would wait a couple weeks till you feel better. But that was in March 30th. I think you can get that right here and right now. We do ask people to wait. Um, don't get any other vaccines within 14 days of the COVID, either before or after. But you should be good to go if you actually had shingles in late March. Get it now. Another listener, as I get older, I'm finding it harder to swallow large pills, especially calcium. Is this all in my head? Any tips? Well, I don't think it's in your head. You might be having a little bit of dry mouth. Um, people's salivary, salivary glands don't work quite as well as we get older. So just take a good drink of water, sit upright, get a huge drink of water, and, and, and wash it down with a big gulp. Um, you might, if it's a pill that's not in a capsule form, you can cut them in half and do some, if it's a solid film pill. Uh, so that might be something to try as well. If you're really having trouble swallowing, though, if you're, you know, there's more than just a little inconvenience, um, go see a, a, what's called an SLP, a speech language pathologist. Um, somebody can, can do a, a swallowing examination to see if there's anything wrong. But it's probably just that your, your mouth is drier. If I can cut it, in, I don't mean to cut you off, but I take pills every morning and night for seizures and whatnot. And I used to have the same issue, but now I take a big gulp of water I, fit, I find the more water, uh, it's easier to swallow and stuff. So that's my, my one quick advice. Devin, you're spot on. You're exactly right. And that's probably better than any advice I can give. I appreciate that. Big gulp of water, lubricate your, your mouth and throat and your esophagus, and then that might help. Hmm. Devin's starting to play a doctor on the radio. Doctor. Oh, he's, he's spot <laughs> on accurate. Won't again. <laughs> All right, real quickly here, and then I promise we'll get back to those phone calls. If a biopsy is done on a suspicious mass and it turns out to be cancer, could it cause cancer to spread? Not usually. Uh, I don't know. It depends. Well, it doesn't really depend. No, no. Um, that's not... Um, no, I, 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 there, I, I'm trying to. I'm kind of hedging a little bit because I guess it's at least possible that there's some some type of biopsies that I'm not thinking of uh, that could seed another part of your body, but I don't think so. Your body's very good at spreading cells out throughout itself without our help, so I wouldn't worry about that part. I'd go ahead and get your biopsy. Yeah, and ask your doc a lot of questions. Exactly, ask him that yeah. question. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of hesitating because I'm trying to think if there's any examples where that is possible, and you know anything's possible, but that's a low risk situation. All right, we're running up against the clock. I want to get these callers in, so I'll ask our callers to be as brief as possible. Cheryl is on the line from Plymouth. Hello, Cheryl. Good morning. Nice to hear from you again, and I uh, love your program. I'm over 80 and have a topic tinnitus. I've had a stroke, and I have varicose veins too, and they got me on permarin, which I'm afraid to continue using. Uh, what else can be used, and how long does this vaginitis last? Yeah, thanks for your question and your call, Cheryl. It's very, very common in postmenopausal women to have what's called uh, atrophic vaginitis. What it is is the lining of your your reproductive tract isn't as robust as it was when you were having children. And so the it's drier generally and does it lacks the hormones. Premarin is an estrogen that you take in pill form. The thing that works really well is a topical estrogen, a gel. And that works really well. And it doesn't get into your bloodstream as much. So talk to your doctor about perhaps using a topical estrogen. The oral ones are, are are probably the most effective of all taking a pill, but not, not a lot of women always want to take 
uh, oral estrogens, a, a pill form. So talk to your doctor about the topical version, Cheryl, and thanks for your call. All right, Catherine and Blaine, good morning. Catherine, are you with us? Yes, I right. am. Okay, yes, go I ahead. Am. I am. I'm sorry. Go ahead, real quick, please. Okay, my question is, I, I'm, I, I have a wet corn in between my little toe and my middle toe, and I'm wondering, is there anything I can do besides surgery to, get take, to take care of that? Probably not, Catherine. It probably just needs to get cut out. Um, listen next week when we do our Ask the Dermatologist show because um, Dr. Liu um, can answer questions about foot um, things like that. They can often be shaved off um, in a less invasive fashion, or sometimes they just do have to be cut off. But it's generally, a, um, it's just a hyperkeratosis. A corn is just a growth of the skin, and they can get hard, hard, hard. So they, you could probably prevent them with footwear and foot care and moisturizing lotions and a variety of other things. But once it's already there, it probably needs to be excised or shaved off. All right. This listener texts in, what is GFR? Mine is 26. Should I be seeing a specialist? So the first part of that, GFR stands for glomerular filtration rate. Your kidneys are made up of a zillion. It's something like a zillion nephrons. A nephron is why we call it nephrology. And they are in your kidneys and inside each nephron is a glomerulus. The, the GFR is how well are your kidneys filtering fluid. It should be somewhere 80, 90, 100, 110, 120. Somewhere north of 100 is normal. 26 is very low. That would suggest that you have at least stage 3 or perhaps even stage 4 kidney disease. And so you should be under the care of a nephrologist or a kidney doctor for that. It doesn't mean it's an emergency right this second, but I wouldn't wait months. Um, if this is a brand new thing for you, make sure you're seeing a kidney doctor to see what's going on in those kidneys. In those beans, we often call them the beans, kidney beans. Um, that is clearly an abnormally low number. Wow, yeah, lots of great questions today on Open Lines, which is wonderful to see. And, Doc, I'm always impressed. You you have the answers. I mean, it is great. We learn a lot, and you're helping a lot of people out there, and I know everyone appreciates that. I had a colleague one time ask me at work, he said, how do you remember all that? And I said, you're just smart as I am. I just um, I, I just have recall. I think maybe that, that's it. And you see that, it. I mean, you're a practicing physician, so you're seeing these And I see all this things. stuff, exactly. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. I, well, wonderful. Well, as uh, Dr. mentioned, next week, ask the dermatologist, which will be wonderful. May is Stroke Awareness Month. Be fast, those uh, letters that uh, Dr. Hilden reminded you of, to be safe. And, of course, uh, you can... Check in with us during the week on Twitter at Dr. David Hilden or at Rashini R. We will be back next Sunday with another edition of Healthy Matters focusing on your skin. Meantime, have a wonderful Mother's Day.